Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit ExcelsiorGP.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. Today with me, Sherilyn Hale. Dr. Hale helps those who give well, engage their families, and channel their wealth and influence for good. Leading philanthropists, multi-generational families, and social purpose organizations across North America, and the Caribbean look to Sherilyn's expertise in philanthropy, corporate and family governance, and community development to become more thoughtful and confident givers at a time when their generosity is needed more than ever. Dr. Hale, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Happy to be here with you. So this whole conversation is about what I'm going to use an umbrella term for, which is giving. Is that okay in today's world? Giving? Giving. Giving away. Giving is good. <laughs> yeah, giving, giving is good. But the world of giving has changed pretty dramatically in terms of how families and ultra high net worth individuals think about it. And, and the reason I wanted to front run that term is because it feels confusing today with venture philanthropy and double bottom line businesses and foundations and DAFs and all kinds of different things, there's a lot of directions to go in. I think people are, are fairly confused, and that's where I think groups like yours can step in. How do you see the, the current kind of giving environment today? Yeah, well, I see you started with the easiest question first. <laughs> Brian, thanks very much. You're right. I think there have never been as many ways to do good as there are today. I think I think charitable giving, traditional philanthropy, if you want to call that, is one tool in a toolbox of other tools. And I think certainly the data around uh, the, the new givers, the rising generation of givers, they are wanting to use multiple tools uh, for doing good in the world. 
So I don't think it's an either or. I think it's crafting the right approach based on what the purposes are, what the objectives are, who's going to be involved and in what ways. I think those are important questions to ask to land at an answer, an answer which may evolve over time as well. I think the other reason why your question is an important one is I think people are are yearning for a purposeful life with meaning. And I don't believe philanthropy is the only the only platform for exploring those types of questions. But I do think it's an important one. We when we're connected with others, when we live lives of service, uh, that's often where purposeful life is found. And so conversations about even the impetus, where does the impetus to give and to do good and to share, where does that come from? You know, why do we want to show up in the world in a particular way? Those are really powerful questions, particularly in the family context that allow for some clarity uh, relative to what that toolbox will look like. And I, I think it's becoming increasingly important because it does seem like one of the go-to ways that families engage the next-gen community within their own operating company or family office. It seems like there's it's almost an on-ramp for a lot of families to bring folks in through their foundation or whatever kind of giving regiment they have. And it seems to be more top of mind for younger people as well as how are we thinking about our foundation and the world of philanthropy is changing a lot more from even the conceptually what my parents thought of it as versus how it's construed today. How are you seeing that play out with your clients? Yeah, I think, you know, the more recent generations of givers, they've been exposed to philanthropy much earlier in their lives. They've had different conversations. There's been tremendous social upheaval and change that is also driving how they're thinking about about their philanthropy, but also wanting more alignment across the various spheres of their life, right? From the philanthropy to how the business is operated, to how investments are managed. So a much more holistic view as opposed to just the bucket over there that is when we write checks or disperse grants from our foundation. I think for families and ultra high net worth families in particular, which come with some unique complexity, I think. I think a foundation, whether it's a foundation vehicle or a, a donor advised fund that has some governance around it, I think more families are wanting to reflect on what can philanthropy make possible for us as individuals, as a family, and the community. And we can't ever forget the community because, you know, giving is about helping others public benefit, community good, those that's important. But when it's within a, a family sphere, we also have to think about what role does this play within our family and what do we want it to accomplish that then will have other benefits down the line. So from some examples, you know, families being able to come together, make decisions together. My specific expertise is around governance and family philanthropy. And so when I work with clients in that context we're talking about often around leadership development, financial stewardship and literacy, values expression, ways to build in to a governance process in very intentional ways, a larger outcome, right? 
And, and by being thoughtful, not all people who make donations aspire to be thoughtful philanthropists, but thoughtful philanthropists will want to craft an approach uh, that has multiple components. I did some research a few years ago and was speaking with the next gen and a family about their governance practices. And, you know, one of the most beautiful things that she shared with me was, you know, giving has become as natural for us as having dinner together, right? And so for that family, they made some very intentional choices that created giving, generosity, participating in the community as a family norm, right? Not all families may approach it that way. There's no one right way, but philanthropy writ large is there's so much potential both around building family capacity, the ability to do something together, have difficult conversations together, make decisions together, and then obviously impact in the community as well. Yeah, I want to go a little bit deeper. You referenced some of the research you've done up in Canada. You know, your work around governance within the family philanthropy context, I think is really engaging. Can we start the conversation by just some of the research in terms of how important families are within the giving community? And, and I know your work is, is predominantly in Canada, but use as an example of just what kind of driver these entities are within that space? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't have the U.S. data off the top of my head, but in Canada, family businesses account for almost 70% of our GDP in Canada. And so just from, a, from an economic perspective, a wealth creation perspective, families carry a lot of, a lot of influence. And, you know, philanthropy comes from capital. <laughs> and so their presence, certainly in Canada and, and in the US, is very much driven by families. And, and I think, you know, when I work with new entrepreneurs, sometimes they're young, they're just starting. They're not like a long established multi-generational family, but they're incredibly successful and they want to build it into their family planning right? with their kids from an increasingly younger age. I'm often asked, you know, how young is too young to start talking to kids about giving? You know, it's never too young. You can always be modeling, showing. Kids learn a lot from just watching us. And parents, they do a lot by showing, being, being generous of spirit, helping, sharing. Those are the seeds that plant quite deep in terms of philanthropy. So families are a really important ecosystem, not just, you know, in terms of data, if you could track all the gifts that come from families, but it's often, not always, but often where the, that culture of giving is planted and nurtured, right? And that has, that has generational implications. And we see that in families that have long generations of heritage of philanthropy in their family. Right. I think the corollary, I don't know what the stats are in Canada, but in the U.S., I think of it as private Companies and then family-owned enterprise are the backbone of our economy. And that's true for employment and GDP, but also the other side, which is philanthropy and giving. And so that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes with families, sometimes the giving side of it can get short shrift. 
and be put on the back burner or doesn't get the level of scrutiny that maybe the operating company or, or the full-on family office corpus of investable assets does. So could you maybe reinforce all of us why governance matters within this context? Yeah, I'm happy to. And why philanthropy matters. So I'm involved with the Ultra High Net Worth Institute in, in the U.S. They have the 10 domains of family wealth. And social impact and philanthropy is one of those domains, which to me reflects how important philanthropy is to the, to the other domains in family wealth relevant for the responsible stewardship of wealth. Uh, so many of the conversations that happen uh, in a philanthropy context need to be integrated into the broader advisory system. I think one of them, and this is not a commercial for the Ultra High Net Worth Institute, but I think something, a conversation that they're leading that is very important within the advisory community to those that work with families of wealth is that the importance of that integration, that collaboration, as opposed to working in silos. And that is very true in philanthropy. So in the context of governance, for example, you know, conversations and exploration that we may have in the context of philanthropy are directly, could very well be relevant to broader conversations of governance in the family office, in an operating company. And so to do it in isolation makes no sense. But the same on the other side, considerations of philanthropy and the role philanthropy is playing or that the family wants philanthropy to play in the family is also important. I think sometimes uh, within the, the family wealth space, uh, philanthropy does get short shrift in part because for the advisors who are working the most closely with the family, it may not be their area of expertise, right? And so when, even when we think of, you know, philanthropy advice or good philanthropy advice, I think the default is to think about the technical bits of giving. How do we fund it? What structure do we use? What are the most tax efficient giving strategies, right? And those are all important considerations. We need to think of those things. And we need experts in those areas who also understand the content side and how the technical side speaks to the content side. So when I talk about the content side of philanthropy, I'm thinking of some of those broader and deeper questions about why or purposes, often distilled into a mission, vision, articulating the values that will guide this work. So what do we want to focus on? either a geographic community or specific areas of interest? How do we translate that into a strategy? And the who, who's joining us on this journey? And for complex families, that may not always be a straightforward answer, right? So, so how do you figure that out? What are the on-ramps and the exit ramps for family participation, the roles and responsibilities? The who is also, what other content expertise do we need? Who will be our key our anchor charitable partners? Who do we need around the table so that we do this in a credible way, a responsible way? So those are the aspects of philanthropy that people and families are often not sure where to get good advice <laughs> about that. The tax advice, they got it. But some of these other components, but they're incredibly important components for the family and the cohesion and effectiveness of the family to be able to work together but they also have implications for the community. 
And I think the community expertise and the bridging between a family and good philanthropy advice, I think there's a direct line to benefit to the community. And certainly for many of the clients that I work with, that's where some of their biggest gaps are and also where there's potential for harm if not done well. So I want to talk about commonalities amongst officially generous or successfully generous families is probably a good way to put it. You've got a great kind of roadmap that you put together and we'll include a link in the show notes, but they seem to have, you know, a dual mission and they've really thought through that kind of mission statement as you alluded to. And they're constantly kind of recalibrating it maybe on the annual basis, depending on the corpus of assets or the human capital that's in the family. Would love for you to walk us through kind of what you've seen commonality-wise across these successful generosity or or generously giving families. Mm -hmm. So part of my research, the results of my research, I had to distill it down just to make make it accessible. It was a roadmap that really serves as a framework. I use it with my clients to help them think about the key considerations to be effective in their giving together. And I would say a caveat is this represents one approach to family generosity and family philanthropy. I think we often default to thinking family philanthropy is families coming together, finding common ground, making decisions together. And that's a wonderful experience for many families and a deeply satisfying experience for many families. It's not the right solution for every family. And so I think a a good advisor in philanthropy will help the family do some important discovery there to come up with a model that actually suits them (laughs) and suits who they are and how they relate to each other. So I think that's important. My roadmap started with governance Actions. So there, there are certain things that people, that families do as they approach their governance. You mentioned, you know, being clear about purpose. And uh, many of the families that I spoke to talked about having a, a dual mission. So a mission for the community, of course, what our philanthropy can make possible for the community, but also what it makes possible for us as a family and being really intentional around what we want this to do for us as a family. I would say the other thing with governance actions is around clarity, around roles and responsibilities. When people are not clear, when families are not clear, the potential for misunderstanding, for conflict can be significant. And so having some candid conversation about how are we going to do this? Who's going to do what? And under what circumstances can be really useful. So there's the things that families do from a governance perspective. And certainly if it's a a foundation, which is an incorporated entity, there's also corporate governance requirements laid over any family governance considerations. So important to consider those. There's also principles of engagement. So how do families approach governance within the context of their family? And there are some principles that came out of the conversations that I had with families one of the big one, big ones was that it was voluntary. So I will sometimes get this question from families, you know, should we mandate? It's, you know, it's a requirement that everyone participate or I want it to be mandatory. I want everyone to participate. And then that initiates a conversation. The most successful families in terms of their giving are those that make it voluntary. 
that make it a, a place of joy. Giving should be a joyful act, but there are certainly seeds that families can plant so that at the right age and stage, children and grandchildren will want to participate because it'll be the, the cool place to be. The issues around trust, very important. We know that even in a business sense, let alone our personal relationships, how much trust is so central. So families that have that base of trust, I talk a lot about social capital in my research, the, the ability to, to work together, disagree, the tension that can come up, the ability to speak freely and openly and come together. You can't do that with trust. And so that's paramount. And accountability, that was another big principle that came out of my research, being accountable for self being accountable as a family and being accountable to the community again, because we never, we can't ever forget that philanthropy involves others. It's not a private, this is just about our family. Giving is, it's an act of reaching out, connecting to others. And so that sense of accountability outside the family is important. Uh, enablers, governance enablers. This is the things that families need to support their success. Leadership incredibly important in families, especially multi-generational families. They often, you know, we use the term succession a lot. I actually prefer the term leadership development in families. I find my clients tend, it resonates more with them. Succession often feels like, well, that's going to happen when I die. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. Whereas leadership development and planning, it's, it's a much more intentional way to build the, the leadership capacity within the family so that there's that strength there no matter what happens within a family. I have some clients with their foundations. Dad or grandpa is not the chair of the board. There's opportunity for meaningful leadership, engagement among others so that you're building. Families also need education and learning. We don't, none of us will spend a lot of time doing stuff. We don't, we don't develop our expertise without experience, learning, investing, time. There's wonderful resources where philanthropists can learn about being a great philanthropist. Peer networks, that, you know, give you an uh, opportunity to reflect. That's a really important enabler that supports families to, to really give well. And then lastly, the, the choices that families make in each of these areas are really informed by what I call governance dif differentiators, right? So every family is different. Those of us who are in families and those of us who work with families know that every family is different. And so, you know, governance is best when it's suited uh, to the family. So there's no one size fits all. There's no uh, off the shelf governance model that I can take into every family. And for it to suit, they have to think about, you know, what age and stage are they? How complex? What generational level? What are their goals and objectives for giving? And what structures are they using to accomplish what they need to? So, so governance across all of those components can look very different. But those are some of the themes that, that came out of my research that certainly resonate in my practical work with family, not just from a theoretical perspective. Exceptional family offices, family enterprises, wealth management, and financial services organizations require superior leadership to successfully thrive in today's competitive environment. 
Building a team of talented leaders is a complex challenge that is best accomplished in partnership with a firm that offers a proven track record of success, which is why I'd like to introduce you to our new sponsor, Mac International. Mac International is recognized as the premier boutique firm that specializes in providing retained executive search and strategic human capital consulting solutions to single and multi-client family offices, family enterprises, and the full spectrum of wealth management advisory, investment management, and financial services firms that serve ultra-high net private investors and family offices on a national and international basis. If you're interested in learning more about Mac International, visit their website at macinternational.com. Yeah, hugely helpful, I think. And, and the roadmap itself is really well orchestrated and organized to help walk people through all that. One of your taglines, I guess for lack of a better word, is that good advice matters. And when it comes to giving, I think one of those challenges that families have is, you know, before they were on the board or before they were part of this foundation, or maybe pre-liquidity event, they probably gave in some form or fashion, be it around the holidays or through their school or through their community. And it was something that was part of their family culture, but it wasn't well-organized and it was ad hoc at best, right? Giving a concept. And so how these families have this culture of giving, but how do you help them professionalize it, institutionalize it? In other words, what are they already doing that's good but how can they level up and really think of themselves as being this kind of family that cares and that prioritizes giving? Yeah, it's an important consideration because what comes with that liquidity event often is much more notoriety and a lot of expectation right, in the community of support. And, and so sometimes uh, what is driving desire for this is also wanting to be prepared, right? The, so a significant increase in requests, for example. I find with, with the clients that I work with, there's also a tremendous weight of responsibility it comes with giving well and a desire and a recognition that they need to do it in a way that is responsible, incredible. And most of them are high achievers. They just, they want to do it. They would say, I want to do it right. <laughs> I don't know if there is necessarily a right. I think there's many rights, but I think the role of good advice is really important. So, you know, what does that look like? You know, my methodology always starts with deep discovery. So lots of conversation, interviews with each person who's participating, because I want to understand, you know, where they're at, what their aspirations are, what concerns are on their mind. What do they hope for? What do they fear uh, in the context of philanthropy? Because all of that data, <laughs> family data, is very instructive to be able to develop a, a plan and approach. So, so at the end of the day, it's the family's philanthropy. It's not Sherilyn's philanthropy where I just come in and set up a, a plan for them. But that deep discovery really helps whatever we create together really fly. It can be as simple as how much time do they want to spend on this? I have some clients that, you know, they're, they are very busy. They don't want to deep dive. They want to know that their, their philanthropy is doing good stuff. 
And then I have other clients who want to be very hands-on. And so, you know, the program for one is going to look very different than the other. Yeah, I think that's, you know, a good way to kind of begin that conversation is you re- kind of reflect back to the family, what I'm hearing you saying, or these are the questions that you need to be asking, because I think people are excited to get it going. But if it's not thoughtful, it can end up being more work than it needs to be oftentimes. Yeah. I think your other point, Brian, around experience, I think few people are a completely blank slate when it comes to philanthropy, right? Through, through donations, through volunteerism, board service. And one of the things that I try to be really sensitive about is, you know, what is the history of philanthropy? What's the wisdom that has been gathered? The, what has come from the experience there, people have good experiences and bad experiences of giving that are instructive, right? And understanding that across a family landscape is really helpful to then build on it because you, I want to honor that. And as a professional and as a advisor, I never want to feel like I'm marching in and saying, you know, you have to do it this way. And because I know best, I think any one of us would bristle at that. So I think honoring the giving that has come before. And again, that discovery about what they want it to look like in the future or what they may want it to accomplish can be good indicators in a way to to honor the family. So along those lines, if a family is looking to engage with a professional to help them institutionalize or professionalize their philanthropy, what are some of the factors they should take into account? What are some of the questions they should be asking that advisor, you know, while they're in this kind of engagement period? Mm-hmm. So I hear two parts to to your question. I think the, the first part is things that they ought to consider first and then questions to ask of a potential advisor. I think to start, you know, what to consider, I think to get a candid, have a candid perspective on where they are at as a family, or if it's an advisor working with a family, you know, broad strokes, where is the family? Again, a good advisor will do a deep dive, but understanding the age and stage of the family. Are they about to sell a business? Have they already sold a business and a foundation has already been set up? Are there generational considerations at play? Are they new to philanthropy or do they have a long philanthropic heritage? Being able to have uh, some line of sight on that can help you then go out and get advice and counsel that you need. It could be also, you know, I just want to make a really big gift to one organization. That's a very different kind of advice that's needed relative to something maybe more around, you know, building a philanthropy with legs and with a long-term view. Um, I think the second area, which we've touched on kind of, but, you know, having a sense of one scope of one's knowledge or, or being candid about the scope of one's knowledge around philanthropy to know where the gaps are. Right. So, you know, I sometimes work with philanthropists who are incredibly savvy. So starting at first base is, I mean, they're, they've hit multiple home runs. They need a different kind of advice. And I think for advisors working, like other wealth advisors working with families and you're wanting to direct them to good philanthropy advice or 
wanting to give philanthropy advice yourself, I think that candor is also really important. Professionals are often thinking about what is my scope of practice? If you're in a regulated profession, there are often very prescribed scopes of practice where they're, you know, you're in bounds or out of bounds. Many of the advisory roles in the family wealth space is not defined. And, and I think, you know, being honest about what one's scope is about giving philanthropy advice is really important. I'll give you a quick example. I met with the principal of a multifamily office who gives philanthropy advice to clients. And he said off the top, my, my default advice to all our clients is to never support any charity that has cost ratios of over 25%. Well, that's actually poor advice. Poor advice for the families because you're depriving them of the opportunity to consider a whole swath of organizations that are doing important work. It's also harmful advice because it's depriving high-performing charities who may not fall within that bandwidth from the resources that we need. We know that cost ratios are not indicators of organizational effectiveness, impact on their mission. And in fact, there's more research and data that suggests when you underinvest in charities, that actually prevents them from having the impact that they could have, right? So being honest and reflecting on what one scope is very important. Philanthropy changes all the time. There are regulatory changes, shifts in societal expectations about the role of philanthropy, new insights from research, regulatory changes. And so philanthropy expertise becomes increasingly important. And then the, the last thing in terms of things to consider is what do we have to invest in this? Good advice costs, costs money. Cost money to have someone commit the time, facilitate conversations, support your personal reflections, reach out to the community, engage new audiences. It takes time. Time is money. So what are families able to commit to that process? But also, even more importantly, is the commitment of time, time and, and heart. You know, facilitated conversations within a family. I suspect many of your listeners, there would be a segment that are well-facilitated <laughs> in different contexts. But those experiences, those conversations, hopefully, if they're done well, lead somewhere important. And the same is true for philanthropy. And I have found the philanthropists I've worked with that are the most committed to being thoughtful philanthropists are the ones where their commitment to the process is commensurate with their aspirations. So on the other side, what do you ask a, a philanthropy advisor? I think first is, is experience. What kinds of families have you worked with in the past? They may not be able to share specific names with you for reasons of being discreet, but what kinds of families have you worked with? What types of initiatives or projects have you supported? What are some tangible outcomes from the work that you've done? I think also, what's your methodology? How do you engage with us? You know, how does that work? What does it look like? A good advisor should be able to, you know, high level talk about how they go about doing their work and where it might lead. You can't presuppose where a family is going to end up, but, but you can certainly describe the trajectory of work and what the possibilities are. And then thirdly, I think it's fair game to ask about community engagement and community knowledge. 
philanthropy advisors come to this work from lots of pathways and lots of direction. Some of us, including myself, I came through the community sector. I was a professional fundraiser within charities for many years. So I know what the charitable sector is like. I've worked within charities. I've worked with boards. I've reported to boards. And that community expertise is actually very valuable and useful in my conversations with clients. Other philanthropy advisors come through other pathways, including through the private sector, but they have a real heart for philanthropy and for the community. But at the least, no matter the pathway, they should have an understanding of of the community sector, the landscape, some of the critical conversations that are happening in philanthropy today. They should have a line of sight on how change happens. Change looks very different in the community sector than it does in the business sector. And, you know, a a rough overview of, you know, the drivers and factors and some of the big issues that philanthropy is often directed in. So those are just some areas to, to focus on. And obviously fit, like with any advisor, (laughs) that likability factor, if you're going to be spending time with someone, you know, that that fit personality chemistry is also really important. Absolutely. Well, that's a lot. Sherilyn, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It was terrific. For our listeners, please do leave us a review and a rating. Let us know your favorite part of the conversation. If people are interested in learning more about the work you do, the services you provide, and the content you're creating, what's the best way for them to find out more? Watermarkpc.com. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, we'll link to that as well. And like I said, the roadmap is really great. So kudos to that. I know it's a lot of work, but it's very helpful to think Thank through. You. A question that we ask people to come on the show, do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I do. Every morning, I really appreciate the question. Every morning when I wake up and open my eyes, I just immediately make a list of all the things that I'm grateful for. And it sets the tone, sets the tone for my day, even when it's a, even if it's a a day that I'm dreading Mm -hmm. or I have lots of things on the list that, you know, I may be feeling a little overwhelmed, but it's a, it's an important practice to me. And And gratitude and generosity often go hand in hand, right? When you're grateful for what you have, that you're in a much better mind frame to be able to share and, you know, engage with others. So, yeah, that's my practice. Terrific. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I definitely encourage people to check out the website as well as the other content you're creating. And thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having philanthropy on your radar. We need to be talking about it more. Giving is down in Western countries around the world. Really, We need more givers and we need more people to give more and to give well. So thank yeah, you. Thank you. Why do you think that is? Oh, that's a whole yeah, other maybe podcast, that's part Brian. Two of like the, <laughs> maybe we can um, do a part two on that. I So in Canada, the data suggests, well, we the number of donors has declined significantly the last number of years. Interestingly, the amount that is being given has actually been slightly growing, which suggests that those who are giving more, but the number of donors, the decline in the number of donors, I think is a big issue. I know it's the same in the US, the same in the UK and in other countries. For me, it's a canary in the coal mine, right? I certainly think economic factors play a role. We went through the pandemic. 
not everyone has recovered. But I also think it speaks to how connected we feel, how connected we feel to our communities. And if we feel connected, you know, we've seen a drop in organized religion and faith communities. I think in some parts of the U.S. it's actually increasing, but a big correlation between participation in faith communities and charitable giving and generosity. And so there's something to explore there. But we need each other. We need each other. And, and I, you know, we talk a lot about polarization. It's happening both sides of our shared border. I think one of the downsides of that is that perhaps we lose a, a bit of compassion for people who are different than us. And so I think philanthropy has an important role to play, to build bridges, and to remind us all how we need each other. And society only works when we're all able to be there together and to be successful together. So those are just some of my thoughts. I'm sure you could hear from other experts who would do a, a deeper dive. But that trend is an alarming one for me and one that I think in the charitable community is a cause for alarm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's something to that, this kind of dissolution of of traditional civic community engagement modes. I mean, in the States, you look at like Kiwanis Club or Rotary or local political committees or you know, school boards and that kind of thing. And it's all become like a battleground or they've just kind of gone away. Like there's no bowling alleys left in America anymore, really. And that used to be a place that people across a spectrum of backgrounds would get together and figure out a way to work together. We just don't really have yeah. a venue for that any longer here. So I, I think yeah. that's part of it. And our communities were built by such organizations, right? right? That civil civic infrastructure. Yeah. And you think of many of the charities and organizations in both our countries, they were founded by volunteers who came together to do something, to help, to make things better, to make a change. And I think it's important for us to take a moment to pause and to think about what we can do about it. How can we engage differently? How can we use our influence and our affluence to build those bridges in ways that are meaningful. Our world needs it. Our countries need it. Well, we're not going to end on a sad note, but that's inspirational. There's opportunity for growth, as my <laughs> wife would say. So we can go do this. And this is a big part of this conversation. Yeah. And families are trying to step into that void in a lot of ways, which is great. So yeah. Yeah. thank you again for all the work you do. We'll have to come have you come back on. We can talk about some of the things that we referenced at the end of the conversation, but we're hard up on time. But keep doing your good work and fighting the good fight. And I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.